Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic data-driven fantasy baseball analysis. I'm your host, Toby. In today's podcast, I talked with Max Freeze of freestats.com, fantasy pros and sports deegans. We discussed a lot of topics, including the players he likes and dislikes heading into next season. Among those players we discussed is one of my favorites, Jake Bowers. You'll have to Listen to find out whether he's going to be someone Max likes or dislikes next year. You can also reach Max on Twitter at FreezeStats. I had a lot of fun with the conversation. I think we touched on a lot of interesting strategic questions, use of the opener, how that's going to impact baseball, uh, fab, just a a lot of different topics that I think everybody will uh, hopefully enjoy. I definitely hope you do. As always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please do give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Tell your friends. We are a small podcast, just rocking out, trying to do the best that we can. And every time you leave a rating or a review, um, it just goes a long ways. Not only does it warm my heart, and I'm being uh, very sincere when I say that, but Um, it is just a great way to spread the word about the podcast uh, if you find it useful. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, and you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the blog BatFlipCrazy.com. Let's get this party started. Hello, Max. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Toby? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Yeah, of course. Thanks a lot. I'm I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I've been following you since uh, since I first noticed your account over the uh, the last winter break that we had, and have really enjoyed um, your presence on Twitter and some of the information that you're sharing. So, really excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, um, thanks, for- and uh, I know that uh, I've been following you pretty much since I started. That's about when I started is back last winter in the off season. So uh, uh, to hang on to and, and follow. So appreciate that. Great. Thanks a lot. Well, you are, you came out, uh, you came out firing because you had some really great content <laughs> from the get go. So um, that's awesome. So we're going to get uh, cracking. You know, we've been having these podcasts. I've been interviewing uh, different fantasy baseball analysts just to get a sense of kind of their process um, so that folks who are listening can learn a little bit, get ideas for their own process and, you know, some of the tools and resources that, that folks are using. So before we hop into that, let folks know where they can find you on Twitter and with some of your writing. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at FreezeStats. And then I also have a blog that I keep up with at uh, www.freestats.com. Um, I've been contributing at fantasy pros and the sports legions. Um, so you can find me there. Um, if you ever got any questions, I'm all over Twitter. So, um, that's, that's basically it for me. Awesome. And I, and I had meant to ask you this before we got on, but is your real name Max freeze? <laughs> it is not. It is not. <laughs> oh man. I was just hoping. I thought you were a, like a fantasy baseball superhero for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even close, actually. Okay, cool, cool. Well, we will we will maintain the anonymity. I just had to I had to ask that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's possible. I've seen 
Uh, I've seen some other names that are kind of crazy. So yeah, you never know. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's start off. Just let me know how did your how did your teams do this year? How many teams did you have? Um, just give us a little roundup on on how your 2018 went. Yeah, um, I did. I uh, I did pretty well. I had four leagues, and uh, I guess we'll have to start with uh, the the real fake dynasty. Which congratulations, by the way, on winning. Uh, <laughs> first year dynasty absolutely ran away with it uh i was a distant second uh i think close to 20 points behind so it, it was it was very close there for for a little while though you it you was, had me you had me nerve you had me nervous and then uh um i've had a few folks from uh from the real fake dynasty on here and um yeah. i keep on saying like i had chris davis and matt carpenter in a 20 team you know, dynasty league with super yeah. shallow rosters. So that helped out oh, a bunch, yeah. but it was fun. It was a lot of fun to, to compete. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, I mean, I, it's, it was, it's great to be in that league and I think it's better to lose, you know, the way I did <laughs> to know <laughs> that I was out of it three weeks to go to not have to, you know, to lose in the last week is just it's, oh, it's brutal. It's pretty soul crushing. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but, but that was, I was. I got a nice mix of leagues. I've got four leagues. Um, two of them are head-to-head, and two are roto. Mm. Um, I did win my home league, which is a twelve-team head-to-head. It's just the one I've done uh, with some buddies of mine for fourteen years since college. So nice. Um, so that was that was a nice one. That's a twelve-team keeper. Um, I was uh, in TGFBI. I did not fare well there. I got tenth place. Uh, not happy with that finish. And then. Um, was in a work league that's a pretty shallow head-to-head league that I finished third. And again, head-to-head, it's finicky. So, you know, I, I finished in first place in the regular season and then lost. Mm. In the that's <laughs> it. Yeah, I've talked to folks before. That's one of the reasons why I stay away from head-to-head is I just – I'm so much about process that when the – you know, when when yeah. uh, when the process doesn't work out, um, you know, you've got that, that best record – going into the playoffs and then you lose it. It's kind of a bummer. Does, does that league at least have, uh, does it have like a money prize to it? It does. It yeah. does. And, and did they yeah. give some of it to the regular season winner or was it all based on the playoffs? It, some does go to the regular season winner. So I got that going for me at least. Okay. So yeah, that's not, that's the nice thing about it. It's hard to have, you know, to basically dominate the entire year and then lose in the semifinals and be out of the money. It's tough, but so Getting something is at least makes it worthwhile, and it's fun to talk trash De- and definitely. going up head to head. I I don't know. I for me personally, I've played more head to head leagues, and I actually have only recently mm-hmm. gotten to roto the last couple of years. So I'm kind, of, I guess, a oh, new nice. to roto, if you will. But I always keep track of like my roto stats in my head to head league, just because. <laughs> oh, interesting. You're a you're a true junkie so. then. Yes, I, I guess. spend time on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I might have to do like a head-to-head league or two this next year just because I do think a lot of people are playing head-to-head yeah. and there is slightly different strategy. Obviously, you want to compile as many good players as possible, but I think it's um, it's always helpful to kind of diversify a little bit so you don't just yeah. get stuck um, in w- concentrating in one area. And I think, you know, I don't know if this has been the case for you, but I imagine there may be some guys, you know, who um, – you know, maybe you have a little bit more of an eye open for guys that are getting hot at a particular right. time because head to head is so 
you know, streaks, streaks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd have a good time playing that. And I think because you're, I I noticed a lot of your uh, posts are on like seven day, 14 day trends. And you know, that's Mm. especially on head to head daily moves leagues. You've got to be all over the wire uh, on those guys. If they're hot for a few days, you want to pick them up and ride them. So, I mean, that's something that it's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun too. Definitely. And then with your TG, TGFBI, you finished yeah. in 10th place. Did you start off I, really well I actually there? did. I think I was second for a while. Yeah. Um, I, I took some chances early in the draft. I, I wanted to – I had the second pick, and I took Altuve, and then I came back and went with Bellinger and Thor. So it was like boom or mm. bust, and it really turned out to be bust with those guys. Uh, but, Definitely. you know, I, it was a good time. It was a ton of good competitors, and so – Basically, a couple of my top picks don't do well, and I'm pretty much, you know, down and out. So, um, so that was that was a fun league. How did you do? You won, didn't you? Um, I ended up tying. Yeah, it was kind. Of, it was one of these. Um, it, me and Brent oh, yeah. Chesser, who's who's really good. I I, I felt a little <laughs> bad. It's I feel felt a little guilty because he was winning. Like I started off and I was either first or second for a while, but then the last three months, I think he was in pretty much sole possession of first place. There was like literally 30 minutes, maybe like a month before the end of the season where I went ahead of him and then, and then sunk back below. But um, I gained like three and a half points the last day, I think. um, And five and a half points overall. And I was actually headed to a victory. I was up by 0.5 points because he was tied on K's with one other guy and literally Kirby Yates is pitching in the bottom of the ninth with a 3-2 count to Nick Ahmed with two outs. So anything but a strikeout, and I, and I win single-handedly. And uh, he ended up striking out Nick Ahmed. So I will never draft <laughs> Nick Ahmed or uh, Kirby you Yates you ever can't. again. It's, it's but brain. <laughs> no. I have very bad memories associated with those two. But, no, it, yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was, really, it was really competitive. I'm really looking forward to next year as well. I also was a number two pick mm-hmm. Altuve, mm-hmm. Um, so I, f- I felt your pain there. There was a couple situations where I'm just like, ah, if, you know, this guy or that guy would have stayed healthy. It could have been a different yeah. story, but yeah, oh, well. that's amazing how the entire season comes down to that last pitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I mean, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, uh, it's just like head to head in a li- in some ways. You know, in some situations, it always sure. doesn't always end on that. But like when on the last day of the year, you can really just yeah. you have to keep your eyes glued and all the games going at one time. Yeah, that, it was that pretty was, fun. It was pretty I love, fun. Yeah, the last day is pretty fun with that with all the games going. That is nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. All right, so let's uh, let's hop into sure. the process. Um, so player analysis is obviously a critical part of fantasy baseball set, uh, success and and being an analyst. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the tools, the resources, the metrics, the websites that you're using to analyze players? What are some of your, your favorites? Yeah, it, it's probably similar for, for a lot of people, but I kind of have uh, a big three that I go to, uh, Fangraphs, Baseball Savant, XStats. Um, for me, mm. Fangraphs is the first site that I ever went to when I started getting into sabermetrics probably six years ago, maybe. So I, I think I could just navigate the site so easily and I can, I can do quick analysis just based on uh, going to a player page and 
um, you know, checking, checking their batted ball profile, checking their um, plate discipline. Um, and I, I mean, I could do a quick analysis there. So I, I love fan graphs and I think everyone, you know, everyone, everyone loves fan graphs. Um, but I, I, when I, after my analysis, I like to go to X stats um, and kind of, see if I can verify what my analysis is telling me. Does, does X stats agree with, you know, what I've kind of checked out at, at fan graphs. And I like that they're batted ball profiles. Mm-hmm. I love that they're, they have batted balls in the six buckets basically. And yes. so it's a little bit more yeah. accurate than just line drive, ground ball, fly ball. Um, and it really is based on it's value based. So I, I love that about X stats. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. I love that it's, aspect too. Yeah, right there with you. and that's and that's it's just it's a ton of data, but it's it's fun to go through. And and baseball savants really, uh, I don't know if they have. I feel like they've come up with a lot of new tools recently, um, and it's I got to get caught up on it. I think because I, it's it's a pretty good site as well. I love the, um, I mean the, the leaderboards are great, but. Um, I'm loving a lot of the new tools that, that they're pulling out and I've got to do some research this off season. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat. And I think um, they're bringing out new visuals. Like it seems like every week or so um, I've seen some of the new pitcher stuff that uh, Darren Willman from who, who runs baseball savant, I think at least the back end of it has been bringing out like some of the pitch pitcher arsenal stuff which has been pretty sweet to yeah take that's that's good because i i need to uh with pitchers i've been kind of leaning on brooks baseball uh looking at baseball mm. prospectus a little bit i i wanted to get into doing some research on pitch tunneling in the off season but uh once the season started i just couldn't keep up you know i i find it interesting you know you guys that don't have the best stuff can find success in, in tunneling and release points and, and late break and that kind of stuff. So it's that, that's pretty neat to check out um, as well. And they have that over at baseball prospectus. Nice. Yeah. That's, I actually don't, I don't have a subscription to baseball prospectus, so I'm missing that stuff. You, you definitely recommend it. I actually don't have a subscription. Uh, That's part of their free content. Uh, Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. They, and they have, um, Actually, I should go there, but it's it's not. I don't know. I don't utilize all of what Baseball Prospectus has to offer, but I do go over there for pitching and pitch tunneling and and some of their some of their ERA estimators too. So mm. that's a, cool. Yeah, the yeah. DRA and stuff. Nice. So. so those are kind of the the main ones that you go to, and you mentioned Brooks Baseball. For pitching, are you are, do you still use that a decent amount? Um, or? I use it some. I don't use it that much. If I'm doing like a a player profile on a pitcher, I'll definitely go there and check it out. Um, and they have to say, um, just has a little bit more information and breakdown um, than I can find on Fangraphs. Um, but mm. Fangraphs is definitely my my go to uh, first uh, first place to go. Um, so I mean, I guess if I'm looking at if I'm looking at hitters specifically, um, mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't know if you wanted to to get to dive into you know analyzing hitters or pitchers or, or what, but this, this is the this is the place to, <laughs> place do, it, to do it right here. 
this yeah. podcast for those of for those of you listening. Yeah, I'd love to hear like what are some of the metrics that you're specifically looking at, or how are you how are you analyzing yeah. hitters? Um, Typically on hitters, I'll go to the I'll dive into the batted ball profile, check their hard contact and um, you know their pull percentage and line drives, fly balls, um, and is you know it's it's kind of player dependent. If a player is more of a speed hitter, a speed player, not hard, hard power, I don't need to look deeply into their hard contact and fly ball percentage. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a little different. If you're looking at a power hitter, you want to have good fly balls, good pull percentage, good hard contact. Um, and one of these, I'm looking into kind of looking into a metric that's kind of a three part, uh, evaluation process where I look at, uh, I call it the 40, 40, 25, uh, 40%, it's a uh, 40% hard contact. 40% fly ball percentage and 25% pulled fly balls. But I kind of, I'm just, that's just, I'm starting that. And I don't really know if, you know, those numbers are the numbers I really want to use for that. Mm. Uh, I was just looking at like league averages um, and, and things like that. But I also noticed that hard contact this year is up per fan graph by about 4%. And so it kind of yeah. is throwing off. <laughs> some of my analysis you know if you're looking at a player who who has increased their hard contact this year by a few percent well the whole league did so is that, was, was, yeah. is that really an improvement you know so it's kind of hard to tell but definitely it, it seems like every year there are shifts in that you know whether it's the right. home runs you know for eight for 18 months there or you know the hard contact this year so that's the forty percent hard contact, forty percent fly ball, and was it twenty five percent pulled fly ball or pulled hard? Twenty five percent pulled fly ball. Yeah, pulled fly ball. Nice. Yeah, forty forty is kind of the the. Those are two of the key ingredients that I look at too when I'm looking oh, at nice. the waiver wire. Um, so I think those are because those are both well sure. above league average, like um, both about five percent above league average. So you're talking about folks who are. Um, you know, doing it, doing a right. good job uh, of hitting the ball both hard and, and in the air. So, and I love what you said about, you know, taking kind of a flexible approach depending on the type of right. hitter that it is. Cause I feel like a lot of times we fall into that kind of using the same tools to evaluate different right. types of hitters. And, and so I think I love that point that you um, brought up there. I think that's critical. You don't want Billy Hamilton with a, 45 percent right. fly ball rate that's not going to work out well <laughs> right and so it's i think being knowledgeable about what players you're analyzing and what type of player they are and have been in the past is key um and then play yeah. discipline of course <laughs> um you know yeah I, I think comparing their plate discipline to past years is important and seeing if there is improvement or regression um, you know, that's important. Uh, I love to see, I love to see a guy cut down his O swing, improve on his Z contact, um, you know, without mm. sacrificing anything in his batted ball profile. That's, that's kind of a key component, um, that I love to see in a good hitter. Definitely. Um, so yeah, things like that. And, and I think, uh, getting over to, to baseball savant, I think just, even if just looking at their leaderboards, uh, maximum exit velocity 
exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, obviously very important for the power hitters. So, I mean, I think, you know, that leaderboard is very simple to use. And I think it is very valuable for a quick check to see on how a guy is, how, what kind of contact the guy is making. But there's always the exception yeah. like Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> I mean, he's always... <laughs> well, when your, your Z contact is like exactly. 50%, that's where, that's you know, you've got to kind of mix, mix and match. Take a look at, take a look at the bet or the, uh, the plate discipline because a guy like Joey Gallo, I mean, basically Teoscar Hernandez and Joey Gallo to me are pretty similar in that aspect. You know, if you're not making, mm. if you're not making much contacts in the zone, you're not going to do a lot of damage. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and understanding those weaknesses right. in players, like if you're going to draft mm-hmm. Joey Gallo next year, you know, and, and I know, I think we were both guilty of this actually. Um, I didn't include it in my bold predictions. I think you did, <laughs> but I said that I was going to, but I saw so many yeah. doing it, which was Joey Gallo is going to hit uh two fifty and, and, yeah. and with 40 home runs yeah. or something like that. And I think heading into next year, I think we'll, b- both of us will probably be like, uh, yeah, I'm going to, just plan on the 215 if I'm going to yeah, draft him. I, so. I think mine was like 250, 50, and 10. So, so I, mm. was, I was way off. Yeah, that's what bold exactly. predictions are for, though. I always think of them more as like the guys you're kind of putting your flag in or the guys that you're highlighting as either underrated or overrated, yep. you know, depending on what you do. So if you can get it right in the right direction, yep. you know, I, it's not – you know, people people didn't lose because they drafted Joe no, Gallo. He did what he did the um, year before. I mean, he was, he was almost it was almost cynical, which yep. you know, it it yep. helps in some aspects, hurts in others. So definitely, and I like I like how you mentioned looking at Mac, Max exit velocity yeah. as well, and not just like I think a lot of people are kind of focused on average exit velocity, which isn't one of my favorite mm-hmm. metrics. But um, I think it was Eno Saris. I think I mentioned this a couple times, but. I think, you know, Saris did some research or somebody else did some research that peak exit velocity is actually a skill too. Yeah. And when, when you see guys who can hit the ball really right. hard, um, you know, not everybody right. can do that, right? There are only certain players who can hit it a certain exit velocity. And so the guy you mentioned, Teoscar Hernandez, is a great example of a guy who has a lot mm-hmm. of the tools to be a really good power right. hitter. And if he can only improve that contact rate – you know, and that O swing a right. little bit, which will probably go together if he does, right. um, you know, that yeah, can make a big sure. difference. So, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Other ones that you look um, at? For hitters, not so much. I kind of stick to those big three and kind of um, that's about it. Um, what about you? What else do you look at? No, I think I think the ones that you mentioned are are mostly the ones that I look yeah. at. Uh, normally, start off with fan graphs, look at X stats. I love the six batted ball mm-hmm. um, buckets yeah. that they have. You know, the more precise you can be, the better. There, um, I also look at baseball savant. I also look at X stats, as you mentioned before. You know, to see whether what I'm seeing in the batted ball profile. You know, checking uh, Babbitt versus expected Babbitt, uh, home runs versus expected home runs, just to see whether, you know, whether or not there might be some luck involved. And then looking back over the course of a few years, maybe to see if that's consistent, right? Because there are certain guys like speedsters who continuously outperform their expected average because 
of either bunts or, you know, infield ground balls that end up becoming hits. And so just kind of looking at that stuff, I think baseball savant, like you mentioned before, I think they've got so Mm -hmm. much there and it's, and, and finding the way to organize it in your own mind and in your own analysis um, and which tools are helpful and which ones aren't for fantasy is, is always somewhat difficult. So I like to look at like exit velocity by certain launch angles. So like how many, you know, um, who, who has the highest volume of batted balls above zero degrees and a hundred miles per hour, Yeah, you know, something like that. So we're not looking at ground balls that are, you know, right. to the shortstop yeah. or yeah, that's, that's, and yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. really important. Obviously those are the most valuable batted balls. So that's a really good, I, I really like that, that idea as well. Um, yeah, and, and what about what about pitchers for you? Um, what are some of the um, – I'm sure you use a lot of the same resources, but how do you kind of go about um, yeah, doing pitchers, analysis? Pitchers, um, I'd lo- I probably do less research on pitching, so it's probably something I need to focus on. But the first thing I look at typically with a pitcher is their velocity. Um, if hmm. the velocity is where it should be based on their, their past performance, looking at trends – yeah. Is their velocity increasing? Is it decreasing? So that's the first thing I check to kind of see if a pitcher's how a pitcher's doing. Um, and then I look at their pitch mix and see if anything's changed from uh, past years. Uh, if they've added a pitch, if they're increasing a pitch, you know, like a guy like Patrick Corbin just started uh, throwing sliders mm. like crazy. And all of a sudden he's, you know, an ace. And that, I mean, that's not necessarily the only, the only reason, but, um, I mean, he's always had a good slider, but he mixed in a, a slower one. Um, and uh, he really just took off increasing, increasing the number of breaking pitches. So I think, you know, noticing trends like that in, in pitch mix um, help. And I, and I love the uh, fan on fan graphs. If you go to the player page and go to the splits, you can, uh, you can do a breakdown of each pitch. How they, I, I love yeah. that um, that tool. Uh, yeah, to see Great exactly tool. how a pitch has performed in the past and present. Uh, is it is it their strikeout pitch? You know, does it have a, an elevated swing strike rate, O swing, um, that kind of stuff. So I, I love looking at that stuff and seeing if if uh, you know their pitch mix changes match with you know are they throwing their best pitch for, and, and you know that's definitely a sign of something that can be sustainable. So. I like looking at that stuff, um, you know, other than – and then seeing, you know, Babbitt left on base, see if those are inflated or, or low and, and maybe they're regressing one – they they should regress the other. Um, you know, after I do my analysis, I can take a look at that and say, you know, can they keep this up or should they keep this up? Um, uh, things like that. Uh, what about you? Um, yeah, a lot of the ones you mentioned, uh, my go-tos are, um, on fan graphs, I'll look up swinging strike percentage just for, in terms of like, that's my kind of substitute for strikeouts. Yeah. Um, and then O, O swing and, uh, O swing first pitch strike and zone percentage just to get a sense of, you know, number one, are they getting ahead of hitters, which is important. Um, and also correlates with, with walk rate. And then, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if a pitcher has to throw the ball in, a, in the zone mm-hmm. to get a strike um, versus, you know, having a higher O swing percentage and therefore not having to have a very high, 
zone percentage or even sometimes, you know, being able to compensate for a lower first pitch strike rate because you're able to get uh, folks to yeah. chase outside the zone. Those are some of them. I, I also use X stats for uh, pitchers just to look at, like you mentioned, like is, is the BABIP, you know, sustainable and or deserved where it is right, right now. Like, you know, um, uh, the best example I can think of is uh, I think you're, you're in or around Chicago is, is Carlos yeah. Rodon last year when he just had that wicked low BABIP. Uh, I think it was like the lowest BABIP over the first 100 <laughs> innings for a pitcher in modern baseball history. And then it came crashing yeah. down. So being able to identify stuff like that, as you mentioned, looking at pitch mix, um, using the rolling average graphs on fan graphs to do that. I think that, um, yeah, like you mentioned, it's amazing how many pitchers can get better just by throwing their best pitch it's, more and throwing their worst pitch obvious. less, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, like half of the teams have figured yeah. it out. Um, and that's actually something that I'm going to think about doing next year too is really honing in on pitchers from certain mm -hmm. teams. Like obviously the Indians um, uh, have a great pitching staff, but, you know, in kind of following some of the talk on Twitter and, you know, I follow driveline baseball, for instance, and, and they're always on top of kind of who's cutting edge in terms of teams and player right. development, looking at prospects in a similar lens. Like some teams just have a much better track record of developing folks and really honing in and trying to focus on mm -hmm. those teams yeah. and getting a lot of my, my pitchers from those teams is something I might take a little bit of a yeah. stab at. Yeah. That year. sounds, that sounds really interesting for sure. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. The, graph, um, the rolling average graphs are actually that, that I'm glad you mentioned that because that is definitely a tool that I use all the time um, to look at to an easy way to look at trends and then to, uh, you know, take a look at choose the stat categories you want to uh, you want to determine which which stat categories, is, you know, this player is, you know, is he performing uh, at a high level has his, have his skills deteriorated or dropped off recently and what's the reason so i think you know looking at a visual like that is, is very helpful definitely yeah i use rolling average graphs all the time and um this i'll just put in a plug for folks who are listening um if you are interested in learning about rolling average graphs over on youtube i did create a couple of videos just looking at how to use them for hitters and pitchers so if folks are interested you don't have to you don't have to but um folks can uh, check that out i i just uh I just remember nice. that when you were when you were talking yeah. about it. Go check it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> and any other any other uh, tools or or resources that you're kind of focusing on or thinking about heading into next year? I want to try to dive into pitch tunneling, but that's I don't know if that's a yeah. <laughs> see if I want to go down that rabbit hole or not. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I think that I think that would be really yeah. cool. I mean, obviously, like what, seeing the gifts that. Uh, the pitching right. ninja and like pitcher list are putting out yeah. there. Um, and there's also a couple other really good accounts. One of the people from pitchers list, uh, Mike Augustine, okay. I want to say, or like Mark Augustine, mm -hmm. something like that. He's been doing some really interesting um, stuff around um, effective oh, velocity okay, yeah. and showing some really interesting yeah, stuff. I, um, I would definitely check him out. And, um, but yeah, I think there's so much, that's what I think is so challenging about pitchers is there's just so much yeah. going on yeah. there. Right. There's so much that impacts and so much I feel like we don't know compared to hitters. And maybe I'm, you know, I, I'm maybe off on that, but that's how it feels from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. So that'll be awesome. When you learn all about tunneling and you 
figure out these metrics that are determining success. You'll have to share them I, I, with all of us. I will if I've ever figured it out. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> no, I think that'll I think that'll be cool. And you're a Cubs yeah. fan, right? Yeah. Am, am I? Yeah. I mean, Kyle Hendricks it's... is kind of. I mean, he's he's not the master of the mm-hmm. tunnel, but if you can throw like eighty six yeah. miles per hour and that change up sinker yeah. mix, yeah. Oof. And and actually. Yeah. Lester as well. John Lester is actually his his skills are completely deteriorating, but he's still he still seems yeah. to be getting by on just repeating mechanics and tunneling really well. So those those two pitchers mm. don't have the best skills, but they get by, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it really is. It is. It's fun to. It's just fun to see like those skills mm-hmm. ebb and flow and the adjustments that people make. Like watching Kershaw, you know, in this yeah. year's playoffs and you know the last couple games. I know. He didn't pitch that well tonight, but, um, you know, going to the breaking ball, like 60 plus percent of his pitches is, is interesting. And I'll see, we'll see how that, that, uh, that breaks, breaks down next year. And that's a little plug for later (laughs) on in the show. We may be talking about Clayton Kershaw. (laughs) Never know. Listen to find out. Uh, There's no fast forward button (laughs) or way to move, move ahead in the podcast. So you'll have to listen to this whole thing. Um, Yes. If you came here for Clayton Kershaw. Uh, so uh, so we talked a little bit about your teams, how they did. Is there anything that you do at the end of a year to kind of go back and evaluate um, what went right, what went wrong, yeah. particular player yeah, analysis? I think that's important. And I, this, this, since this is my first full year of doing kind of, you know, baseball analysis, I guess. And so with my blog, I went back and looked at my preseason ranks. Um, to see what players I hit on, what players I missed on, and kind of explain, you know, where I went right, where I went wrong. Um, and from there, I could go to, like, lessons learned, see where I can improve on for next year. Um, and also, I go back and check. I did, uh, I did projections and compare final, some final numbers to my projections. I haven't gotten mm. that far with that because that's kind of a lot of work that I don't feel like <laughs> – putting in right now um i did you know just yeah just to go I've, I've checked some of them and some some of the projections look pretty good but at, just for instance i did really well yeah. on my projection with sin so chu and i mean but he's such a consistent okay. player it makes sense because right? he's he's always yeah. he's just always a guy who plays yeah. 150 games and he puts up similar stats every year so that one makes sense but then there's guys you yeah. know that i missed on like cody bellinger i was way off on this year um, you know, mm. and, mm-hmm. and so you, with your projections, so those are ones that you're, yes, that yeah, you're doing are. yourself. So, uh, yeah. What's your process? What's your process there? How do you, yeah, so how the, do you pull them together? The, the most difficult part is projecting, um, plate appearances, but I need plate appearances to get where I want to go with the projections. So, um, I, yeah. I kind of, I don't have a scientific approach to the plate appearances. I kind of, um, I look at a pl- how a player, had, you know, maybe their last three seasons, I take a look at their injury history, if they're, you know, guaranteed starter or platoon player. And I don't project anyone for more than like 150 games, basically um, 155 games, even if they're, you know, immaculate health uh, records, just, just because there's yeah. always that, that question. So, you know, injury prone guys might, I might project for 130, 135 games. Um, so the, the, the 
plate appearance projection is what makes everything go. And how I start that is I, I kind of just go players I'm interested in. So like I'll start projections now because um, I'll look at potential values next year and some players that I think are overvalued. Um, so I'll kind of go, I'll go with player mm. by player as I'm, you know, as this, the off season goes on and then, um, you know, then start going to project the rankings top to bottom. Um, I don't, I certainly don't yeah. project like 500 players. I'm, I'm probably done at about 250 to 300. Um, <laughs> so now do you, do you look at like, um, a steamer projections or some of those systems initially to get a baseline or are you really kind of going back through the last, last few years of their so performance I, the to create them? The first time I did projections a couple of years ago, um, I did, I did do that. I went off of steamers uh, then, but steamers projections mm. came out too late at that point, And I probably got through 150 or so projections before um, the season started. So last year I just started, right away and just started doing players that I was interested in, you know, kind of a couple per day or one mm. here or there and just kept going from there. Um, it's, it's not that bad, um, you know, doing the projections, but runs and RBIs are difficult because, you know, where's the player hitting in yeah. the batting order? Uh, there's just too many, there's too many variables with that, but I think average on base percentage home runs and steals um, are, are, you know, the, the baseline that, that I'm looking at for the most part, that I don't spend much time on runs and RBI. Yeah. It's kind of be kind of a waste, I think. <laughs> hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm always, I've never, I've never gone through and done my okay. own projections. So I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do that this year. Like I kind of, I'm similar in the, in the sense that I'm, I'm like right mm -hmm. now I have this massive spreadsheet and I'm looking at, uh, the last okay. few years of player performance. I'm looking at mm -hmm. average OBP, uh, runs per plate appearance, RBI per plate appearance, home run per plate appearance, stolen base per plate appearance, and then kind of the yeah. skills that are associated with that, mm -hmm. just sure. to see if they line up. Kind of what you were talking about earlier, like, and then I'm color coordinating them, you know, yeah. based on the percentile, and just to see, like, you know, if a guy's got a um, you know, a batting average okay. that, and then I give them Z scores. So essentially like how many standard deviations above or below the mean they are just to get mm -hmm. a sense of like, cause I play Roto, like how do people do in certain categories? I'm mm -hmm. sure it'd be useful in head to head too. But then looking at like the skills components of yeah. what produces that. So like, for example, with OBP looking at, you know, batting average obviously is impacts OBP as right. does O swing percentage, right? That's the skill right. that tells you whether somebody has played discipline so looking back, like if you have, you know, a really high OBP, but a not so high O swing, then I'm kind of yeah. like, eh, something's not right here. Similarly, like if OBP is really high, but run per, mm -hmm. per plate appearance is really low, you know, there's got to be, yeah. maybe that's something that's yeah, going to change sure. in the future. So, um, yeah, but it's really hard because so much right. of it is based on plate appearance right. and where people hit in the batting right. order. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really I, I'd like to go back and and see how I ended up doing, uh, it's hard, but again I don't even know how to compare it because what, you know I, I guess how do other projection like how does Steamer figure how do they figure out how accurate they were you know I don't I don't know about that you know it's it's kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, every every year, you know, there's I think Fangraphs occasionally compares the projections um, systems and how they did, but they use mm-hmm. like for instance yeah. Woba okay. um, to do this. Yeah. Uh, Rob Silver's talked about this on the Launch Angle podcast, where they'll look at just kind of Woba to figure out you know who was more accurate, and I think Steamer is generally generally the most accurate but it's not obviously by a huge margin um but it would be really interesting to see and i think he's doing research on this on like what which from a fantasy perspective who who's the most uh, accurate from a projection standpoint but it's so hard you know there's just i don't know i don't have the math background to be able to pump that out like me in an excel spreadsheet i'm just like (laughs) bumbling around trying to remember like like i figured out like that you can conditionally format based on uh percentile and i was like through the roof i was like oh my god this just made my yeah. life so much easier so well, I'm, cer- I'm um, certainly no but yeah i'm, I'm, no I'm always at, at excel either i just kind of uh i'm it's i'm pretty basic with it too so i i don't you know i don't think you need to be an expert at at, at anything like that it's just uh i think it's it's time consuming and when there's so much information out there and it's like yeah, you know, you want to do research on other things, and and projections take up a lot of time. So it's it's kind of I'm probably missing out on some research I should be doing. You know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's also it's also the question of do you want to go back and yeah. evaluate how right. your projections right. did last year, yeah. and spend all the time doing that versus you right. know doing the research for next year. Um, so definitely, um, cool. And um, so you do kind of projections. What are some of the other things that you're doing over the off season to kind of prepare for your drafts? Um, So I kind of like to get, I don't know much about prospects and I know we're in a dynasty league together now. And I think we had the same approach where we basically drafted (laughs) like we weren't in a dynasty (laughs) league. Um, (laughs) So I like to, um, I like to listen to some, um, prospect podcast when i can and not so much you know like the first year player drafts but but like guys that are on the cusp guys that are going to be you know going to have an impact Mm. in 2019 so i'll look through um i used to listen a lot to uh uh ralph over there at rasball i think he's at prospect one now he started his own Mm. um started his own site with uh i think matt a couple other guys so i I think that's that's yeah yeah Yeah, and, and lance and I think, yeah, and, the, and two of the three yeah, are in right, our yeah. in our dynasty league. So we better <laughs> we better win while we have the chance before these. Yeah, or I got to join the dynasty league with them not in it. So, but but yeah, I need I yeah, need to do, uh, brush up on my prospects. Um, and then um, what I'll also I'll, I'll start I'll start writing articles on uh, players that I think are overvalued and undervalued, and that's basically based on. Uh, the Mason mock drafts, the too early mock. Um, I mean, because mm-hmm. that's all, that's the information yep. we have right now. I know those ADPs are going to change, but um, you know, it's at least a good baseline to see where values can be had going into 2019. So I'll start, I'll start writing articles like on that. Um, what else? What are you, what are you up to in the off season? Yeah, um, my my major thing that I do over the off season is over promise and <laughs> under deliver mostly. Um, I you know I'm I've got this spreadsheet and I'm trying to turn the spreadsheet into something meaningful for people. 
and heading into the off season, I was like, all right, I'm going to do 300 players and I'm going to do mm-hmm. like some sort of draft guide. I think that's still nice. what I want to do, but the challenge is you put all your energy and effort into that. And then it's very challenging to do things like positional previews, positional rankings yeah. and tierings. And so I'm going to dive into the spreadsheet. I've actually kind of been taking a little bit of a, not necessarily a break. I've just had other things going on mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to focus as much on it. And then I, then I start watching, you know, the playoff games, and then I get distracted. So once, once I think the world series is over, I'm really going to hunker down and try to devote some time to it every day and hopefully get through and be able to provide some sort of, you know, rankings and tiered yeah. lists by position, um, overall rankings, some, some articles or podcasts. Yeah. I, I really like the podcast format. Um, just cause my, I, I tend to write like really long articles and spend a lot of time on them. Um, yeah. Which is which is fun, but you know I feel like podcasts are are maybe sure. easier for nuance, yeah. um, and so I think I think doing that um, and then just having a lot of content ready mm-hmm. for when drafts arrive. This is my gonna this is gonna be my pretty much my like second oh, nice. full year really doing this. Um, no, 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 not like full time <laughs> or anything. I have a regular job, but yeah. like. Um, and, and, and so last year I was just really late in my analysis. And so in some of my early drafts, like TGFBI, by the end of uh, draft season, I was super into Whit mm-hmm. Merrifield and yeah. uh, Tommy Pham. And, but at the beginning I, I wasn't as into them and I didn't end up getting them in a lot of the earlier drafts that I did, whereas I did in later drafts and, you know, Merrifield yeah. had obviously worked out really well. Fam, fam was fine. You know, he didn't like, lose many seasons, yeah. but it's just, yeah, exactly. I mean, what was amazing to me is he that, still got over a hundred runs. You know, I was like, yeah. And I mean, I think he hit 20 home runs and had 15 stolen yeah, bases or so. So, you know, just, he could have a crazy year if he plays 155 games. Oh, totally. And with the, that Rays improving lineup and the way they play baseball, I'm really excited to For see sure. him in, in Tampa. Um, so I just think like feeling more prepared, um, you know, maybe heading into February and March is mm-hmm. something that is one of my goals and being able to provide people with content that is relevant mm-hmm. to their drafts and, and timely, I think is my overall goal, whether that ends up being a draft guide or whether it's just separate articles or separate podcasts and things like that. Right. No, we'll, that's we'll good. See. The, uh, do you play in any yeah. auction leagues? Uh, you know, I do not play any in okay. any baseball okay. auction leagues. Um, I would love to get involved in some. Um, obviously, you know, it's a very different, um, very different. And like one of my dreams, I've mentioned this before, is also to do like projections and then create using standard gains points. I talked uh, about this okay. with Joe Saunders last time. Um, and then uh, turn those yeah, into dollar values yeah. based on my projections. Yeah, that would be the dream too, and be able to go into an auction and and feel really good about that. You know, last year I got invited to an auction or two, and then I I decided not to do them just because if I when I join a league, I really want to do well, and I felt like I would have to invest so much time in researching mm-hmm. auction values and just auction strategy that I would not be that I wouldn't that I wouldn't be able to lend the time that I needed to to other things, but maybe this year I'll try to do that. Even though <laughs> I had eight teams this year and um, I don't know if I can add more, at least more that sure. have fabs. <laughs> I spend so much time on fab. Um, so yeah. So are, 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 anyways, are there any, are there other things that you, um, 
that you're doing in the off season to prepare well, prepare the, for drafts? The, the reason I mentioned auction is because I, my 12 team keeper league is an auction league at my home league. And so my projections mm. do help me there because I do kind of assess of, it's not a dollar value, but I, I kind of have a way of analyzing uh, a point value basically for my projections. And so basically mm. it's just, I, I, I use my projections as, um, you know, in those values and basically go into the draft thinking or knowing I can get $300 worth of value in the $260 budget. Um, it just kind of, you know, mm. that, that helps me in that league. Um, and I've performed well in that league. It's not quite the competition of, you know, PGFBI, but it's, um, there's some, there's some good players that, that are hardcore, uh, that are, that I'm buddies with, but, um, so that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the reason I started doing projections was we flipped the auction a few years ago. Mm. And so I, so that's kind of the nice. idea there. And, and you feel like Absolutely, those have been yeah. really helpful I mean, to you. you when you look at yeah when you look at other sites that have their auction costs and then i look at my projections and see where certain guys are and i'm i, I know there's value there even if even if someone else is likes the player and is going to bump the price up i still can get value in certain players so i think it helps quite a bit mm. yeah. nice and do you have you ever used the um baseball h oh, I uh, q forecaster no you haven't. I, I would I would recommend checking that out too. They they I use that during draft prep, and they have auction values in there as well, both um, over the past few years for players, which is always helpful just to give you context in terms of what certain uh, yeah. stat lines are worth. And then they also give you know their own projections and include dollar values there too, which is really helpful. And it's just got a ton of great um, content and research. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like Jeff Zimmerman articles and other folks from Baseball HQ staff who will do um, research on different topics cool. that are yeah. super helpful for fantasy. So for both you and anybody who's listening, um, uh, this is a free plug for the uh, Baseball good. HQ forecaster. And not the first you will probably <laughs> nice. hear from me. Um, cool. And so as you, um, you enter your drafts, um, what, what is, do you have a general strategy as you go into each draft? Like what, what is your plan to win? Is it, is it flexible? Um, I mean, obviously everybody's is a little bit flexible, but like how flexible are you? Do you have like any kind of rigid or set ideas about how you're trying to run the draft or certain positions right. that you're trying I, to get it? Not times? really. I kind of go in. Um, I like to, I, what I try and do, it, I'm, I'm very flexible with where I'm going but I usually stay away from starting pitching as far as grabbing um, a top tier ace, like a top, like a top four this year. Um, I try to grab a low end ace and then wait on pitching for a little while and grab my top tier hitters. And especially early in the draft, getting the guys who are, who have power and speed, um, I think are essential. I think grabbing those guys first, um, mm-hmm. the first couple of rounds, because after that you're sacrificing other categories to get power speed. Um, so I think that's, to me, that's kind of, I guess that's a strategy is to try and get those, um, those guys early and wait on pitching a little bit. Um, so, and, and as far as filling, filling a roster out, um, a lot of these, Roto leagues that we're in, 
Uh, they have middle infielder slots, corner infield slots, five outfielders, utility. And so I'm not looking to fill my starting, you know, my starting nine out. Um, I'll, I'll fill out middle infielder and utility player if the value's there. Uh, because it's all about value you want to get mm. your be- you want to get the best statistics and that um you know don't don't pass up on a guy because you want to fill your third base slot you know if if a, a middle infielder is there and is better you believe is better you know so I- yeah yeah that was that was one thing that was interesting with TGFBI right. because it had two utility spots right. which I'm not used to um and I think that's one thing that uh I think, um, you know, listening to different podcasts, one thing that people noticed that yeah. took advantage of. What about of you? For sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, similar strategy. I like to focus okay. on batting average and, and speed early on, um, generally speaking, just because I think those are the two scarcest categories. And like you mentioned, I mean, whether it's, you know, power, speed, you know, the guys who contribute across the board, those balanced producers – um, are so critical because they're like you said they're mostly not available right. in the later rounds um, and so what I really like to focus on is batting average and speed yes but I also <laughs> love those balanced profiles so um, you know like in the first round there's a ton of them mm-hmm. right your mm-hmm. Yelich's your Bregman's um, your Betts's your Trout's um, even your Altuve's. I mean, obviously, we found out right. what injury he was dealing with this year, and like <laughs> part of his kneecap was, you know, floating yeah. around in there or something. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even Altuve has a very balanced approach, and you know that batting average is it just is. Yeah. is just huge. I mean, the average average batting average last year in fifteen team leagues, at least in NFBC fifteen team leagues, was two fifty seven. Wow. I think. I mean, so if you've got a guy who's hitting 315, 320, no. and there's not a lot of them, but um, that, is, that is just a huge boost overall. And it allows you to kind of go a little bit later for some of those power bats that may have a yeah. little bit more empty average. But I really try to, I really try to stay away from category mm-hmm. sucks, like guys who just will crush yeah. you in one category, whether that's batting average or power. Like I – I try to make sure that everybody on my team is going to have that double digit home right. runs, you know, so that, um, you know, cause you can make up some of them and by doing that, like yeah. that's not a hard and uh, fast rule, but yeah, I, I yeah. probably never owned Billy Hamilton or D Gordon on any of my teams just because I think there's always somebody that's going to yeah. want that. Cause I, I, I probably devalue them a little bit. Um, and there's always, going to be someone in the league that doesn't and is going to take them so i, I typically stay away from those guys unless they were to fall but they haven't <laughs> so yeah yeah well um um yeah oh i lost i lost my train That's, of thought there you know um, I, and, and when you talked about altuve he, and actually with the tgfbi i actually went altuve and then later grabbed gallo trying to put my money where my mouth is and my so you know, if I mm, if yeah, Altuve yeah, yeah. hits three fifty and plays a full season, then it it completely offsets Gallo's you know two hundred five or whatever. So uh, it didn't quite work out, yeah. obviously, but that was kind of the thought process there. I could take that risk and go for the upside. So, um, but yeah, 
Yeah, one uh, I remember what I was gonna say is like the um, the Billy Hamilton and D Gordon types too. I think it's really dangerous, at least in Roto, to put all your eggs in those baskets too, especially with the way that the DL is used now. Um, because if you put so many of your stolen yeah. bases on those guys, um, and you don't have insurance later on, then you're going to be out. You're going to be in a really tough place from a category um, perspective. So having those balanced balanced players is is a little bit of right. an insurance policy um, in terms of injuries. You mentioned that you tend to wait on pitching a lot. Do you heading into this year? I think there's kind of, you know, it's it's a pretty yeah. top heavy pitching. Um, right. You know, at least starting pitching. Are, are you planning to continue that? I mean, obviously it's early in the season, right. so you got to do your analysis. But is that something that where you just feel like there's there's values to be had more in pitching? Yeah, than there I, is I in think hitting? so. And I think the um, I think the other issue with pitching is uh, injuries. I think a higher percentage of pitchers are injured throughout the season, miss time. Um, so there's risk in grabbing multiple. Uh, expensive or high-end pitchers um in that respect and so and i feel like perhaps is kind of like coming going into 2018 there was the big four there was kershaw mm. sale scherzer kluber um i think that was you know pretty standard throughout the industry and now i don't feel like there's a big four anymore i think scherzer's at the top and i think you could go a number mm. of ways after that and i think it's a little bit deeper um, and even a guy like Verlander is just, I know he's getting up there in age, but he's just so, he's been so dependable that I, mm-hmm. I don't, at some point the, the shoe's going to drop, but I, I haven't seen it yet. So I, he's, he almost seems more reliable than some other, um, high end pitchers going into, I don't know where he's going to be ranked, but, um, he seems, he just seems pretty rock solid, even, even given his age. So yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like I could just wait and wait for the um, wait for the value to fall in there and get someone, you know, between 10 and 15 as my ace, um, you know. Yeah. He, Verlander went, uh, his average ADP was 34.4 okay, so in the, uh, in the two that's earlies. Moving, that's that's so, moving up, I think, from where he definitely yeah, was that high last it's, year. It's interesting. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman did did uh, he shared some results. He's doing like a poll where, if you click on the link, you go in and you choose different players, and based on and you can just keep doing it forever. I was doing it for like five minutes, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna yeah. stop. But like, um, and it's a really interesting idea, and he's and he's been able to create kind of a a ranking yeah, or sure. an order of 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 interest, and it's fascinating to see some of the names there, like. Um, you know, DeGrom is all the way up at wow. 12. Uh, Lindor is up at three. Oh, I love um, so it's just interesting to see how the guys have kind of shifted yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I saw yeah. something, something like that. I'll have to check that out. Mm. And, do, and do you have any thoughts on like obviously the landscape in pitching is changing dramatically with? A lot of teams employing the opener, at least towards the end of the season. The Rays obviously used it really successfully. You have to have a you have to have a specific skills within your rotation and your bullpen in order to do it. But um, how do you see that playing out? Um, yeah. Have you thought about that at all? Like, are you incorporating your thoughts on that at all into your draft strategy next year? Again, yeah. uh, re- re- realizing that we're in October, right. we're talking about. <laughs> 
our draft yeah. strategy for no, the that's spring. A good, that's a good question. That's something I need to, to look at because I, I haven't – I mean, I, I know that it's becoming more popular. I just don't know which, uh, which teams are going to actually use that strategy. I mean, is it, are the Rays going to actually do that for an entire season? You know, if, if they do and then other teams start start doing it, you know, if they only have two or three reliable starters, they do it for the uh, game four and five. You know, I, I will have to take that into account. And I think what that's going to do, and it's something that I also look at is streaming because I play mm. a couple of daily moves leagues. So I do a lot of um, daily streaming pitchers. And I think that's um, one way that – and I don't know if this is typical, but the, the head-to-head leagues that I play in, um, a lot of the guys, including myself, will stream pitchers. They'll have we'll have like one or two roster spots that that are kind of just we can rotate in and out. We just kind of and so mm. you know based on to get the K's yeah, and the wins based on and, matchups, you can yeah. kind of accumulate stats that way, and you've got a chance of blowing up your ratios for the week, but. If, if that happens, you can just continue streaming pitchers all week and try to get wins and strikeouts at least. Um, so, you know, I think streaming becomes more important if there's, there's less reliable pitchers, but like you're saying to counter what I was saying earlier is you might want to have a couple of high end starters. Um, you know, do you want to, do you want to use two high end picks on starting pitching and, um, you know, then, then go with hitting. That's, it's another strategy if you, you know, if you, and if, and if it works out, if they're both healthy all season and perform, then, um, you know, then you, you might make out. I mean, that's, that's definitely one way to, to look at it. Um, so I, that's, yeah. that's something to think about. I don't know if it'll completely flip my strategy, but it's definitely something to think about. Yeah. It's just thinking about it is getting me <laughs> jazzed up for next year. There's just so many, there's so many shifting dynamics and it feels like it's every year and it's probably more right now, but like the starter reliever, you know, closers is another one. Do you have a particular, you know, draft strategy with closers? Are you waiting on them? Are you trying to get one of the elite guys? And how how exactly do you approach closers? Closers. I, I do not like closers. (laughs) I just, (laughs) you, you refuse to roster them. They're like kickers in fantasy football, right? It's not quite that bad, but, um, I just, um, I don't like, they're, they're more volatile than anything, obviously. And so, um, you know, like I, I finally, in one of my leagues, I finally went and grabbed Jansen this year and then, you know, (laughs) so dominant. And, and now this year he's not. So I, I I don't think I'm going to go back to that. I like to grab, try to get one or two closers and, and a couple of uh, very skilled middle relievers. And if they turn into closers, great. And then work the wire and hope to get saved that way. Now it didn't work out in TGFBI because um, I made trades too late. I made moves too late, and I made trades too late, and I I was curtain and saves. So I mean, it's it's maybe a weakness that I need to address, but um, yeah. I, how do you feel about closers? Yeah, I'm, I come in a similar boat. Like I don't I don't like to spend on the higher end mm-hmm. folks. So like I steered clear of the you know Chapmans and Kniebels and Jansons in all of my leagues this yeah. year. I like to get um, players who have shown strong skills in the past. Uh, maybe kind of more middle round guys like. 
you know, your Doolittles yeah. and folks like that um, this year, your Vizcainos, yeah. you know, um, and then some kind of, so one guy that might fit in that. And it also depends on like whether it's 12 team or 15 team, but one guy like that. And then, you know, guys that may have a little bit less of a solid footing in the closer role who have high skills from previous years or, you know, high leverage setup men with like really strong skills. Right. I'm hoping that one of them becomes something. I think it's one of these things where like mentally you're always freaking out about closers, yeah. regardless of like how <laughs> right. many you have. I mean, not really, but like, I feel like every year, you know, you go into the season, you're like, Oh my God, where is the closer going to come right. from? You know, how am I going to do this? And then they magically appear yeah. somehow on your waiver wire, regardless of how deep your league right. is, even in 15 team or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'll probably take that same approach this year, particularly given, you know, the, um, that a lot of bullpens are have less set roles now yeah. and a lot of pitchers have a lot less set yeah. um yeah roles yeah For so sure. yeah definitely yeah. It, it it is going to and I even had one one of the buddies in my in one of my leagues was suggesting we should go to saves holds um which would mm. clear things up for me because I wouldn't mind, <laughs> I wouldn't mind taking elite level middle relievers and get holds but um, I don't yeah. know if that's a, a popular strategy. I ha I don't play in any specifically, but that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't play in any either. I've seen it. I've seen people have really good conversations about mm -hmm. it. I think my I think I like the saves, and even though it's becoming harder, it's becoming harder for everybody. Yeah. And there's and it's also a very it adds a really serious element of strategy to the game you know like how many how many relievers who aren't currently getting saves are you going to roster right. you know like who you know who when do you decide to let them go identifying um situations where there may be more of an opportunity than other opportunities i don't know yeah. i think i think there's a really healthy element to it too in terms of how we how you strategize and and think through it yeah so, i agree with you. yeah no. for sure yeah. Is there, is there any particular draft prep that you do before your drafts? Like, you know, whether it's, um, you know, doing mock drafts from your position or putting together, uh, you know, we've had a variety of different things that people have talked about. Are there any, anything that you do draft prep wise or just relying on your projections mostly? Uh, I do, I do draft, I do rely on my projections, but I also definitely do some, some mock drafts as well. Um, uh, the mock draft, I do, I have two keeper leagues. So doing a mock draft doesn't help for those. Yeah. <laughs> the redrafts for Roto definitely helped. Um, I did quite a bit. Um, I think I did a couple for, uh, with the TGFBI format. Um, I did, I did a bunch in like December and January as well. So I think mock drafts help. Um, you know, other than that, my projections, my rankings, um, trying to keep up uh, reading articles and uh, spring training, um, you know, looking at potential breakouts. I know Jeff Zimmerman wrote an article about um, guys who mm. have increased their launch angle, but since you don't have the statistics, he was looking at yeah. the, the air outs. Air outs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, <laughs> that's, it's funny, but it's, you know, it's true. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely mm -hmm. something to look at and then looking at pitcher velocities. So those are kind of key components. And, um, you know, if, a, if a guy's velocity and a lot of times in spring training, guys are working up to their speed. So you can't, you got to take the low velocity with a grain of salt, but, 
maybe someone who's got a bump in velocity might be someone to look at. So, mm-hmm. you know, just staying fresh with the information that's out there is definitely, prep, yeah, that's, prep, prep. That, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, and I like, you mentioned that before too, that that's one of the first things you look at when looking at pitches right. is velocity. So um, those are key points mm-hmm. uh, in season management. The next fab seems very far away, <laughs> uh, but it'll be here before we know it. Um, talking about in-season management. So a lot of times, uh, this is a question I ask everybody. People say kind of like, uh, you know, this is a 60% draft and then 40% in, in-season management, okay. you know, yeah. or, or whatnot. They break down uh, the importance yeah. in that, in that uh, way. What, what would you say the percentage is in your um, experience and what are some of the factors that you think, uh, you know, yeah. result in that? I don't know if I have a set uh, set uh, percentage because I think it's going to be based on league size. You know, like a shallow league, mm-hmm. 10 or 12 team, maybe like a 60-40 split, I would say. 60 draft, 60% draft, 40% in-season management. Um, and I think it's even higher um, for a uh, higher percentage for drafts in, in the deep leagues, the, the AL, NL only, the 20-team leagues. I think it's more like 70, mm-hmm. 75% draft. Just because there's such, you know, the, the waiver wire is just so thin. You're lucky to get, you know, a few contributors off the waiver wire that actually make a difference in those type of leagues. Um, so I think the draft is more important in those deep leagues. Um, but at the same time, even in a shallow league, you're probably, um, your draft is probably going to make up. At the end of your season, you're probably still going to have, you know, 70, 60, 70% of your drafted players if you do well. So, um, it's, it's definitely more important than in-season management, but, uh, in-season management still plays a huge role, um, in winning leagues. What do you think it is? Definitely. Yeah. I, I'm going to say, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it definitely depends on the, on the, um, the size of the mm-hmm. league, the deeper the league, the more the draft is important. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel more and more like in-season management is so critical and, when I talk about in-season management, it's both kind of fab. Yeah. Especially with, like, the 10-day DL. Yeah. Um, and just, um, you know, it's interesting, like, because of because of the increased a- use of analytics in the game, I feel like, and again, it's probably recency bias, but I just feel like there's more guys who kind of take that next step mm-hmm. or who come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and, again, that may just be – you know, recency bias. Cause I was able to, able to pick up Max Muncy in a couple yeah. leagues this year. But um, I feel like in season management is so critical because there's so many matchups now too. Yeah. You know, we talked about like the way that starting pitching is changing and so many more teams. Like you look at the Dodgers, right? They're going to the world series mm-hmm. and arguably, you know, like today, Cody Bellinger started on the bench right? Because right. of his matchup against sale. Right. And so more and more you're having guys like that. Yasiel Puig is not a regular in their lineup against yeah. lefties because of his reverse splits, you know, just things like that. And so I think more and more that in-season management, not only just fab, but like who yeah. you start in, in weekly leagues or bi-weekly leagues or even the daily leagues. I mean, you mentioned like, you know, that strategy of churning folks in the mm-hmm. head-to-head, you know, having those few spots that you're always churning to get the Ks and the, and the wins you know, those are examples, I think, of in-season management that are going to become more and more yeah. important um, the way that the game is changing. And I think it's cool because it reflects real baseball, right? right? Like 
there's more decisions that managers are being forced to make. There's more information that they need to use to factor into that. And I think similarly uh, in, in fantasy baseball, we're going to have to start doing the same thing as fantasy. Yeah, that, that's so, a good point, especially yeah. in your, uh, your weekly leagues. You know, like you're saying, guys are getting platooned who you never thought were going to be platooned before. So do you, you know, are you going to yeah. start them? You know, they've got, you know, they're a lefty and they've got three lefties coming up. Are you going to, are you putting them in your lineup that week or not? So it's definitely decisions like that are used to be no brainers. And now it's like, well, if he's not going to play two or three games, is he worth it? So it's a good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Max Muncy dilemma at the end of the year. I dropped him in a number of different leagues because, you know, like I just couldn't, like, I was like, you know, uh, you're, I'm going to get two games out of four from you in TGFDI where I could go get, you know, I don't know, Jake Cave or something like that. Um, uh, cool. And so in terms of in-season management, um, you know, like, how, do you have a particular fab strategy? Like, are you aggressive early? Do you like to wait so that you have a lot of your fab towards the end, player, player by player basis? Like, how do you determine how you're using your fab? So the, you just touched on one of my weaknesses. <laughs> Uh, Uh oh (laughs) that it because i haven't had a lot of experience don't don't listen to anything max says during this segment okay go ahead really because i haven't played in a ton of leagues uh that have required that have fab isn't all that important in daily leagues because you know you're 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 always churning um but i i guess as far as my strategy um it, it really just is something I need to work on because I didn't really have a set strategy. It was basically, you know, where are my weaknesses on my team? You know, what players are available that can help my weaknesses? And then I have to say, well, how badly do I want them? And say, do I feel like I need this guy now? Um, and I'm going to spend 25, 30% of my fab on him. And so that's, you know, I need, I kind of need a strategy going into next year. So that's definitely something I need to work on. So, uh, what about, I mean, uh, what's your strategy Yeah. so I can steal it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's on a player by player basis. Um, for me, I think I'm more and more a believer in, in being aggressive okay. early and, but saving enough for late because I've been in situations where, you know, at the end of the season, there's just so many guys are going on the DL. So many starts are being skipped. You want to have as much flexibility as possible. And so having like that little bit of fab at the end when other people don't is helpful. So I'd like to have the best of both worlds essentially is what I'm saying. Uh, But no, it's really on a case by case basis, like how I'm going after folks. I think you touched on this earlier, but like, I think one of the things that I like to do is I'm always looking at the seven day, the 14 day, the 30 yeah. day skill leaderboards um, to identify folks who may be the best folks are the ones who have made a change in their approach. At least it looks like they made a change in their approach, but they haven't necessarily gotten lucky yet. Right. Like their yeah. BABIP is low or, you know, they're really crushing it. Those are the guys that I like to kind of hone in on and say like, oh, I'd love to have you on my team for the next little bit because I think you're going to do well. <laughs> So I think there's different, not even, it's not just fab. I think it's also like you mentioned, like how do, what tools are you using to identify players who 
might be available on your fab who can be good. I always use like uh, ESPN has um, uh, Tristan Cockroft puts out the fantasy forecaster mm-hmm. every week that gives like a look at each one of the matchups, both hitting left, right, you know, splits as well as stolen right. bases. And I always use that one because yeah. of the stolen bases. I yeah. find that super helpful. And then the fantasy pros who you write for um, has the hitter, 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 mm-hmm. hitter planner. Um, that shows you all of the matchups that different teams are going to have throughout the year. So the week, so looking at those and really kind of like churning guys week to week or every couple weeks, I'll take a couple weeks, I'll book a couple weeks in advance or get a guy a week before they actually hit um, that I'm planning to start them because they have a really solid matchup, particularly towards the end of the season, depending on like what my needs are going to be, you know, at least in Roto. Um, So those are some of the things that I, um, that I you mentioned about being aggressive early, and I think that's a it's that's a great one because it's it's hard to do because you love to just say I trust my process in the off season, and I think this guy mm-hmm. is going to turn it around. So you kind of are like, do I want to be aggressive and give up on a guy, or do I trust my process and that he's going to come out of this? You know, so and that's where the that's where the you know fourteen day and thirty day. Uh, you know, uh, ex- expected stats come into play and um, batted ball profile and stuff like that. But it's it's definitely I I feel like it's hard to be aggressive early because you you feel, you're always going into the season like oh I love my team I did a great job and <laughs> trust my process mm-hmm. they'll come out of it. But yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, well, a point that you made earlier actually is um, uh, really resonating with with me right now, which is that. Plate appearances are so like a lot of the counting stats are so dependent on plate appearances and right. spot in the lineup. And so one of the things that I'd like to do moving forward and, and to think about, and, and I, I try to use this, but I think it's something to hone in on is, is follow those guys that have changes in where they're hitting mm-hmm. it in the lineup, right? Like a guy gets moved up, guy yeah. gets moved back. Um, that can really dictate things. Like, um, think about Trey Turner early in the year. This is a, probably a bad example, but remember, he started the mm-hmm. year batting sixth, and he was stealing right. a lot of bases, but he wasn't going to get the same runs and, you know, RB, well, maybe RBIs, yes, RBIs, but like, wasn't going to mm-hmm. get the same amount of runs, not going to say get the same amount of plate appearances mm-hmm. as batting first. There was a real change in kind of what his profile would have been like being in those right. two different spots. There are other guys, you know, who are probably eluding me right now but who um you know who moving up to bat cleanup instead of batting seventh you know or moving into the second spot you know instead of batting sixth or seventh you know those are really key things to to hone in on because those are the types of things where you can be aggressive early and say okay the opportunity has actually changed the plate appearances that i'm seeing somebody goes down you know like jesus aguilar right we have even been talking about him if Eric Thames mm-hmm. hadn't had gone, yeah. down, you know, so those are just examples. I think where you can be aggressive is guys who have the skills, but didn't have the opportunity who now right. have the opportunity. If you didn't draft them waiting on the opportunity or guys who actually have a shifting right. shift in circumstances, um, that's going to give them more. So from your point earlier, I think that's one that we can use, you know, moving forward in terms of be, when to be er- aggressive earlier, just right. aggressive in general. All right, Max. Next up is the hardest hitting question that we are going to come at you with in the podcast. 
people shake in their boots when they get this question. It's referred to as the job interview question. Do you have a particular weakness as a fantasy analyst? Yeah, so I already mentioned one, which is like fab. Uh, we don't need to go into that anymore. But I think for me it's difficult, and we even touched on it, is when to give up or move on from a player mm. because even even a, a bad 14-day stretch or even a bad 30-day stretch based on s- skills and results doesn't mean that the player is done. doesn't mean that he's mm. worth the drop, um, especially a talented player. So I think that is a difficult thing for me to do. Um, for instance, I, I ended up keeping – Luis Castillo all year. Now he ended up having a nice second half, but mm. you know, a five, almost a five and a half ERA through the first half is yeah. really going to hurt you. So, yeah. I, but the skills to me always seemed like they were there. I just, I, I couldn't give up on them. So I don't know, you know, that's probably a weakness of mine. I get too attached to players that have skills that just look, look like they should be performing better. And I just yeah. waiting for that to turn around. So pitchers are pitchers are so hard yeah. with that too. Yeah, like and those are just season destroyers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Luis Castillo, like Luis Severino yeah. this year for yeah. that two month stretch, just destroyed a couple of my um, team. Not destroyed, but that's a little bit <laughs> of an exaggeration. But uh, you know, I, I sat him a bunch of weeks because I just didn't trust him anymore. Yeah. Um, which begs the question, uh, I, I was going to ask you this on the podcast. Do you have, do you have Trevor Bauer on RFD uh, in the Real Fake Tan- Dynasty? I do. You do? Yeah. Who do you like more, Trevor Bauer or Luis Severino in a Dynasty League? Uh, I, uh, I'm going to lean Severino um, All right. in a Dynasty, but it's, it's close. Severino is a little bit younger. Um, I think – I. I I read somewhere that he was tipping his pitches. I feel like it can be correctable. He's got, he's got, I mean, he's an ace when he's right. So, and I know Bauer took a huge step forward this year. I'd probably rank Severino a little bit over Bauer in dynasty, but close. What about you? Okay. Well, well, I have Severino. (laughs) You have Bauer. Uh Oh, we may, we may have to have some conversations in the off season, Max. I just wanted to put this on the record. Okay. Just so everybody (laughs) was able to listen to it though. Uh, I I was thinking about that heading into it. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I love Trevor Bauer next year, but um, all right, let's hop in um, to another segment uh, that is equally hard hitting Mm -hmm. as the, what is your, your weakness as a fantasy analyst? Um. And that is our uh, straight from the bakery, fresh baked cookies and hard baked cookies. These are fresh baked cookies, are players mm-hmm. who you really like heading into the next year because they're right out of the oven. They're soft. They're delicious. And yeah. And then the hard cookies are going to be the three players that you think are going to underachieve based on expectations and ADP next year. And they are... Uh, in this analogy uh, or metaphor, uh, the hard cookies, because there's nothing more disappointing than biting into a cookie, (laughs) expecting for it to be fresh and soft. And that cookie is hard. Yes. So with that said, walk me through your uh, three fresh baked cookies uh, for next year. 
All right. Uh, so I'll just list them and then I'll talk about them. Uh, number one, David Dahl. Number nice. two, two is Jake Bowers. Huge, huge uh, supporter of Jake Bowers on this podcast. Nice. And then three is kind of a package deal. Uh, Josh James and then Corbin Burns. Uh, Josh James, pitcher for Houston, and Corbin Burns, pitcher for the Brewers. So I'll, I'll start with Dahl. Um, so at the two early mocks, he was drafted in about 147. I expect that to rise. But at this value, I think he's – I don't – I mean, he's not – it's funny because he's not the typical profile that I would look at. He's mm-hmm. He swings and misses a lot. He doesn't walk a whole lot. Um, it's really – it's the Coors effect. Um, and it, he finally showed what he can do that last few weeks um, when he got hot. And they're getting rid of – I believe they're getting rid of – they should be – Carlos Gonzalez <laughs> and Para. So there, there should be no playing time issues with him. There are some injury concerns, but um, I really think that a player of his caliber uh, could easily hit 30 home runs and steal 10 bases in Coors without killing your average. Um, and, and that's, and his, his profile isn't great. He swings and misses a lot. And he's and he swings outside the zone, but there's guys like Javi Baez who I was completely wrong on, and I watch him every day. Um, <laughs> you know, because he just, he's, you're he not the only at, one who was wrong. I, mean, I watch him, and <laughs> any pitcher that throws him a slider in the dirt, he swings and misses it. So I just am kind of perplexed as to why pitchers don't do that all the time. But um, you know, I'm I'm starting to change a little. I don't want to just. Uh, someone who swings at a high percentage of pitches is going to have a higher O swing um, and is going to have a higher swing strike rate, I believe. So I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily want to just go by his numbers compared to somebody who is a patient hitter, uh, for instance. Um, And I think Coors can correct a lot of issues as Trevor story can attest. Um, so that's my <laughs> thought on David Dahl. I just, uh, I think 30, 10, you know, doesn't, you're not going to get that, uh, outside of, um, you know, right near 150. And like I said, I don't think he'll be there, but at his value, I think he's a steal. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was surprised to dive into his profile and realize how much of the contact yeah. issues that he did have. Um, but he was still able to maintain a reasonable average. That BABIP, you know, is, is it wasn't too high this year. I mean, it was high back in 2016 when he um, got his first uh, taste of the bigs. But, um, you know, that's something you can expect in yeah, course because of that big outfield. Yeah, I was looking at 311 being um, low uh, for someone with speed and cores. Not, I mean, he's not an elite level, but um, I feel yeah. like, uh, you know, he could – he could hit 270, 280 pretty easily, even with a 25% strikeout rate. So I just, I think Coors fixes a lot of, <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, holes yeah. that may be an issue in some other parts. But um, he's he was a high end prospect for a reason, and I think he can, can. He's only 24. I think he can make some improvements. Yeah, and he had 16 home runs and five stolen bases, and. Yeah. 
271 plate appearances, I think. So definitely that 30-10 that you're mentioning isn't out of the equation. And he actually had a a very low um, runs uh, runs per plate appearance for being in cores um, and um, having a OBP that was right right around fantasy league average. So, yeah, definitely. he's. I agree. He's somebody who could provide a lot of value where he's going. And I also yeah. agree. I think he's going to shoot up draft boards as we get closer to the season and his role right. with the Rockies gets a little bit clearer, um, but yeah, great call. <laughs> All right. Our favorite, our favorite player on the face of the earth oh. covered many times on the podcast and on Twitter, Jake yeah, Bowers so proceed Jake Bowers. I wasn't um, his numbers obviously don't look great from last year. But I think the power is a pleasant surprise. I think a lot of um, people were expecting kind of low-end to moderate power from him. Um, but he does have speed. Uh, the, the power-speed combination gets me every time. His ADP currently in two early mocks is 253. Um, that's almost free uh, for a guy that um, is patient. He has a good walk rate. Uh, double-digit walk rate. Um, could use a little bit of work on contact, um, but he doesn't swing outside the zone very much. So that's the key, and I think that's going to come with more experience. Um, plate discipline is hard to find in young players, and so he already has that ability to lay off pitches outside the zone. Um, so I only think that his contact rates will rise, and his batted ball profile Looks much better than I anticipated it was going to. His hard contact was over 40%. Um, and his fly ball rate, I, I, I don't know why I had the impression he was more of a ground ball hitter. He does have at least around a 36% fly ball rate, which will do just fine. Um, and his pull, his pull percentage is very high. Um, so I, I think that he's a guy that can develop some, some pretty – some well above average power – and while his stolen base rate he was six out of twelve, um, I don't I don't anticipate him to be a twenty stolen base guy. But again, another guy who can get double digit steals and and hit twenty twenty five home runs going after two fifty is a steal. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I'm right there with you on Bowers. I think that with that yeah. at that draft price, the two fifty three. I think I actually didn't get him in the two early mocks. <laughs> Somebody got him before me, and I was I was. Very upset for a mock draft, but I agree. I think oh. he got unlucky this year. His batting average is at 201, um, you know, hit that, which is almost two standard deviations below the mean. But none of the, none of the skills that you would really look at in terms of batting average point to that. His K rate is worse than league average, but not that bad. His contact rate is worse than league average, but not terrible. 83% Z contact, 72.8%. Um, regular contact. And you mentioned the the plate skills are elite, especially for a player so young, you know, a 13.9% walk rate in OBP leagues. He's really valuable. I think the issue for him was that 252 BABIP. Um, And I did an analysis because um, uh, somebody had mentioned it, but so Bowers, uh, his BABIP on ground balls was, um, uh, was 134 compared to 236. Um, for overall for uh, baseball. And a lot of people talked about the shift, but even against the shift, 
um, he had a BABIP on pulled ground balls of 0.063 compared to 186 wow. for the league average against the shift. Yeah. Um, and so, or actually, no, That's... it's 0.043 <laughs> with the shift versus 0.15, uh, 159 uh, league average. So I think there's a lot of luck in that batting average. I don't think he's going to be right. the batting average guy like you mentioned necessarily, mm-hmm. at least right away. I think he will get there. But, um, you know, and, and I agree with you that the power is a surprise and the fly ball rate was a surprise because I don't think in the minors right. that was the expectation. And they really showed right. a willingness to stick with him throughout the year, um, probably because of that OBP. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely there with you on Jake Bowers. I actually think there's a sneaky wow. little bit of Alex Bregman in Jake Bowers. That's um, <laughs> not like, not, not, yeah. um, well, I mean, if you look back True. at his minor league track True. record, batting average wasn't an issue. The co- the plate discipline is already elite. Yeah, right. So he's swinging at good pitches. The, the contact rate needs to improve, but yeah. he's got the formula there, right? His hard hit rate was solid. Yeah. You talk about the 40 40. Mm-hmm. His hard hit rate was above 40, and the fly ball rate was approaching 40 and was actually over 40 for a good bit of the, the second part of his season. So I think there's a little bit of just, you know, really elite plate discipline, improving contact. That's yeah. going to be the key, I think, for him is that contact rate, what that does. And yeah. he's going to be in a great lineup. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, I think that was great. Thank you for bringing him up. Um, I'll touch on Burns and yeah. uh, James real quick, um, just because I'm not. Uh, these guys mostly have uh, minor league uh, statistics. They they showed up this year in the playoffs, and um, I think they were going around 260. I think they might jump up if they get rotation spots. It's gonna these these guys are based on rotate uh, dependent on rotation spots, and if they're called, if they start with uh, the major league team. Um, Burns has got a fastball curve slider and change with great command. Uh, he throws 96 and he had pretty incredible swinging strike rates, but his K rate didn't match. Uh, and, and that's interesting because he mm. does have a great fastball and can get strikeouts with it. Um, which, you know, not, not everyone can get, can have a high strikeout rate with their fastball. Um, surprisingly had, had a good ground ball rate with it as well. Um, and the slider didn't grade out well in small samples, but it was largely because he gave up three home runs in 195 innings. Um, but it had a 47% O swing, a 24.6% swinging strike. Um, so it's a, it seems wow. it's small sample, but it's, it seems to be a pretty incredible pitch. And so the only question for me is whether he starts with the, with the major league team or not. And if he's in the rotation, so we'll see if he starts with the brewers or not. Hmm. Uh, yeah, love those two calls and and with um with James McCullers. Yeah, that's, you know is just yeah, had Tommy John. Tough news there. So um, yeah, yeah, tough news. Tough news for McCullers, but well, in terms of your pick for Josh, ADP is going to rise. But you know, I think, I think everyone saw that he can throw 101 yeah. in the playoffs, and that's going to get people excited. But his K rate really jumped this year. I think if his ADP rises up significantly and it gets into the 100s, I probably won't get him. But if it stays in the uh, in the mid two hundreds, I just think mm. taking a chance on a guy who can throw that hard and can have a strikeout rate um, over ten per nine, 
um, is somebody that you want to target. And he did start 24 games this year between double AA, A, triple A, and the majors, and had over 140 innings. So it's not that he handled a high workload. So I think he's got significant upside, mostly in terms of strikeouts. He's not doesn't have the control of Burns, um, but I think anytime you get you can have strikeout upside like that and 140 innings, I think it's worth a, a gamble. <laughs> I'm I'm sold on both of them. Um, yeah, right. it'll be interesting what the Brewers do with mm-hmm. Burns. Like you mentioned, the rotation spot. He'd be one of those guys too that would be awfully, um, awfully exciting yeah. in in, yeah. in a post opener role. Yeah, definitely, you know, a Ryan Yarbrough role, maybe four four to five innings right. after after an opener. So sure. that'll be really interesting. Um, all right, that, those are great four fresh baked cookies. Um, let's look at the folks that are just going to disappoint uh, those hard cookies. I have. Clayton Kershaw here, who just pitched tonight. <laughs> uh, Carlos Correa and he did. Torres. Um, so I went with a little more high-end players um, that I likely won't be drafting. Um, and it's starting with Kershaw, and you know my strategy. I'm not, I'm not going uh, for the high-end starting pitcher. And I think with Kershaw, while he's probably dropped outside of the number one overall, in draft next year, he's probably going to be going somewhere between two and four. Um, and I just, I'm not willing to spend a second round pick on him. I feel like the velocity has dropped now for a couple of years. And I know uh, his breaking ball is, is still incredible and he's been throwing it more, which is great. Um, but I've also noticed his, as his velocity has gone down, his strikeouts have also gone down. Um, and he also hasn't thrown over 175 innings. Um, in the last three seasons. So I just think the back issue is is a chronic issue that's going to hold him back, and the Dodgers aren't going to push him. He's probably going to see a couple of DL stints. When he's healthy, he he might be a top-five option, but I don't think he's going to have the innings and the strikeouts to put up top-five numbers, in my opinion, because I think the strikeout rate is going to continue to, to stay around nine per nine innings. Um, it's not going to be at the elite level like you see with Scherzer and Sale and those guys. I, it's not that I'm against yeah. Kershaw. I just think that um, I think when he's in there, your ratios are going to be fantastic. But um, I just don't know if the upside is there unless he throws 200 plus innings again. And I don't know if I trust that. You when you. um when you included him on the list, I did a little bit more research on him and I was really surprised to see that K per nine. Yeah. Um, under nine, obviously K per nine isn't the best indicator. The strikeout rate is right around league average. Right. And percent still got that elite control, but um, yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of red flags in that profile and you used to be able to say, you know, yeah, Kershaw, he may not get those innings, but you're going to get, um, elite production and that's still true obviously yeah. but it's not the same level of elite right. production right like right. in terms of the k's as you mentioned and then even the era you know crept up to 273 mm-hmm. that's awesome a whip of 104 is awesome but yeah that swinging strike is down at 11 percent three percent drop mm-hmm. continues to fall um yeah it's it's interesting i looked him up on the espn player rater because people are always like oh well you know, you're still going to get like a third and four round, fourth round value for him. Mm-hmm. 
from him, even if he doesn't pitch that many innings. I mean, he finished the 66th, you know, uh, overall highest player overall. And so that's fine. Right. Um, it's not going to lose you a league. Right. But if he's being drafted at the ADP in the two early mocks that you mentioned at 22, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, yeah, that's not that's not necessarily the profile I want to buy buy into. For sure, I know it's probably sacrilegious. What I we're know, saying, I know. But... <laughs> but I I think with with my strategy and um, I think the his skills and I I think he's he's good enough and smart enough to still be a very good pitcher and that curveball is fantastic. But uh, oh, I yeah. just don't. It's for me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna to pick him in the second round. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of interesting things there with him becoming potentially a free agent, whether he'll opt out of that deal mm-hmm. or stay with it with the Dodgers and then kind of his reinvention with the the, the diminishing fastball. It'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Yep. Um, I think I think Corey Kluber is going to be close to behind him. Don't tell anybody <laughs> I said that. But um, uh, all, right. all right, next up, who do I we got? I got Carlos Correa in the two early mocks. He was going 28th overall, um, and I just – you know, I think people are holding out hope that, um, you know, that 30, 20 players coming at some point. And I just don't know if that's going to be the case with him. He's been injured um, two out of the last three seasons. Um, He's only averaged 124 games a year in his three full seasons in the majors. Uh, Exit velocity was down significantly this year. Um, High drives were down. That's his per X stats, by the way. Mm. Um, his poor hits were up, um, stolen bases. They don't really appear to be a factor anymore. Uh, he's, he's really just not running much. It's, you know, it's, he has five in the last two years, five stolen bases. So, I mean, that's, that's the problem for me. Um, you look at his season in 2017, which was 315 and 24 homers, which is awesome in 109 games. That's the production you kind of need without speed at uh, inside of the top 30, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's he's just not going to provide much value unless he gives you a full season. And um, I just don't see it happening. I, I don't know. I don't know if the injuries are chronic or not, but um, his his upside to me, unless he starts stealing bases again, is, is not going to be top 30, in my opinion. So um, his strikeout yeah. rate went up as well. It's It seems to be – and that's not even – his contact rates weren't that bad. Uh, it's not like he uh, he struggled with his contact rates. His, his K rate just increased. So I don't know if, if he's just had nagging injuries. Um, BABIP was down, but um, – yeah, I, I just don't see him as a top 30, 30 player anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he, like you said, I think he's he was hurt, you know, big drop in hard hit rate, right. uh, about 11% dip. Um, but I also agree that the lack of stolen bases is challenging. Yeah. And so if, if I'm going to be focused on average, which I think he can yeah, provide when sure. healthy, and speed on those early picks. I don't know if I'm going to take him there, given some of the names that are still up on right. the board. So I, I agree with you there. And he may just be a guy where, 
you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a long list of owners who are like, I'm not doing Carlos Correa. Right. And I'm just not, I can't True. do it. Um, but I think he's just one of those guys who's going to have to show it right. um, again yeah. before folks can trust him with that high of a pick. All right. The third and last hard cookie. Who's it going to be? Labor Torres. Yankees, Yankees fans turn <laughs> yeah. away. Labor Torres. Fantastic rookie year. I think he's going to be a great player. Um, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the sophomore slump, even after I drafted uh, Cody Bellinger and he screwed me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he has poor plate discipline. It's not awful, but he has a 34.4% O swing. And his contact rate is 70.9% this year. Um, he's only 21, so there's go- going to be improvements. But I feel like there's a weakness there that can be exploited. Um, his swinging strike rate is at 14%. And he didn't really show a whole lot of speed. And I know that's not quite his game, but I think um, fantasy fantasy players want to see him steal some bases to get them uh, some more value. Um, and then his sprint speed I saw on baseball. So, and I, again, it's average sprint speed. So, you know, who knows if he's slacking off running the bases, but 27.1 miles per hour, which is below average, a 21 year old who's supposed to have above average speed. I don't, you know, that's, that wasn't, that was a little bit concerning to me. And even the speed score on fan graphs was 3.3, which is below average. Um, yeah, he's, he's got a, b- a below average stolen bases per plate. Appearance yeah. Too. Okay. So that, that makes, uh, you know, I don't know if I can project him for much more than eight to 10 next year. Um, and then his, his average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls was not only 91.2 miles per hour. That's the bottom 30% for all hitters with at least 250 balls in play. Um, mm. and X stats had him at around 260 with 19 homers which is below his – he went 271 with 24 homers. So, you know, I think if I'm projecting next year, I'm probably um, I'm probably dropping him a little bit uh, from the power department, and I think he might struggle hitting 270 again. Um Strikeout rate's a little bit elevated, and the plate discipline's not great. I think he can be exploited. And uh, as scouts get around and and, uh, take a look at him in his second year. So maybe not necessarily a sophomore slump, but I don't think you can just project uh, a full season of him and all of a sudden he's 30, you know, 12 or something. I don't know. But uh, I don't don't think he's, he's valued at pick number 62. I don't think there's a ton of value there. Again, with a young player people are going to take risks. So I think he's going to be drafted pretty highly yeah. and he's talented and I think he's going to have a great career, but I think I'm holding back this year. Maybe he has a little bit of a sophomore slump and I'll jump back in next year. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the ADP is of 68 is, is unbelievable 60, for him. Um, <laughs> is it 62? Well, it, it's 61.8. I might I may have written. No, I think you're probably right here. I wrote it. Yeah, 61.8. Yeah, you're right. 62. My God. Yeah, I just think, especially, you know, I think there's depth in middle infield, yeah. too. I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, a guy like um, uh, uh, the guy on the – Paul DeYoung. Yeah. You know, I, I would expect Paul DeYoung to have similar power, maybe not as many stolen bases, but the, the counting stats will be there. I think the average will be pretty similar. Right. 
and you're getting him a hundred picks later. So easily a hundred picks later, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, Max, thank you so much for being on. I know we kept you up pretty late there. Um, are you, you're on central Central time. time, Yeah. Okay. So I don't feel as bad. You're, it's not 1230. <laughs> no. Uh, it's 1130 there, but really appreciate you being on. Uh, as I mentioned before, really enjoy the content that you're producing. Uh, folks should definitely go follow Max uh, for the stuff that he's putting out. Do you want to remind folks again where they can reach yeah, you? Uh, on Twitter at FreeStats, and you can visit FreeStats.com. Uh, I'll be putting out rankings and projections as the uh, offseason progresses. Um, so, I really appreciate you having me on, Toby. This was a lot of fun talking baseball when uh, the World Series is on and the uh, fantasy players are winding down. But this is a lot of fun. I, uh, I know. I, I miss fantasy baseball yeah. already, man. <laughs> yeah. I just do. Yeah, always. Um, yeah. But I know, yeah. right? Gosh, can't it be like full year round? Um, yeah, well, it's been great. It really has been wonderful talking with you and – uh talking fantasy baseball is awesome so keep up the good work and we'll have you on again sometime soon i appreciate that all right take care max that is going to wrap up episode 26 of the bat flip crazy podcast i hope you enjoyed uh, my interview with max freeze definitely do give max a follow at freeze stats on twitter He's really putting out some uh, terrific content, and I think you will definitely enjoy it. Tonight was World Series Game 1, so the baseball season is almost officially over. As I mentioned at the end of the podcast, I am definitely missing fantasy baseball. I am currently have my head in a spreadsheet of fantasy baseball metrics, um, Z-scores and skills and all of these great things, and hopefully I'll be able to turn that into content pretty soon uh, for all of you to hopefully enjoy. As always, really appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you've liked this interview, go back, listen to some of the other ones. We've had some great guests. Go back, look at, listen to some of the other podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review. It really does mean the world to me. And yeah, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we'll be back soon with episode 27 of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and take care of one another.